0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning. We are glad y'all are here this morning, and um, very excited about all that, that God is, is doing. Uh, just uh, a, a, an update. I think last week we had reported a little over 2,000 for 25 forward. As of early in the week, we were over 33,000. And so, yeah, so there's definite movement, and uh, we continue to, I, I didn't get a report from our children. I know they continue to give, but uh, I know there was some things there too. So we look forward to how God is going to continue to move that, move that forward as a way to reach our community, as, as Tiffany said. And, and as some people rightly ask, wh- wh- why even do that? And it's, it is because there is there is a very real shortage in the immediate Clear Lake area for fields for children, for students. Uh, if you have a, kids who play baseball, you know that you, during the season for practices, you're scrounging the whole neighborhood just trying to find little lots and, and corners of lots where you can practice. And so we believe that God has given us an, uh, an opportunity with the land he's provided to us to reach out to folks and, and provide that. So anyway, that's, uh, please keep that in, in your heart and uh, if God puts it on it, do what you feel led to do. Last week, as, as she said, we began our series called Encounter, looking at the encounter Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well outside the town of Sychar in Samaria. and, and Here is Sychar, here's the town of Samaria, down here's Jerusalem, Dead Sea, uh, this is uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean. As I reminded you last week, this is about the, the size of East Texas. This is uh, the Sabine River, this is uh, Toledo Bend, this is the Gulf of Mexico, and, and this is I-45. <laughs> so that just kind of gives you a little bit of a frame of reference about distances. The only main thing is, is whereas East Texas is hilly, this is actually mountainous. Uh, this goes from this rift valley, which is several hundred feet below sea level to around 3,000 feet above sea level, and then back down here to uh, sea level again. So it's... Uh, it's uh, uh, the geography really kind of figures in there, and Jesus and his, his, his band have decided to go straight through rather than cutting over to Louisiana like a lot of the, uh, the Jews typically did when they traveled. I'm from Louisiana, so I can kind of understand why people would want to go to Louisiana. But anyway... Um, uh, and, and, and as we saw, God created each of us with a, with a need to be connected to him, and Jesus said he can provide living water that can quench this, this thirst that is within every human being so that we don't have to endlessly seek to, to find it to be fulfilled, to find satisfaction in the, in the things of this world. And we ask you, in fact, to be thinking and praying about who you know that needs living water that is to be offered by Jesus, and we'll talk more about what you can do with that at the end of the, this time. But, but this wasn't the end of the encounter that Jesus had with the woman by any means. As, as we read last week in verse 15, we're in chapter 4, by the way, Gospel of John. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Version Bible app. And if you have neither of those, we have the, the notes, the in- insert notes that are in your bulletin that have all the scriptures there plus some places for notes and fill in the blanks. So in John chapter 4, and this is the, the, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, verse 15, the woman said to, to Jesus, sir, give me this water, this living water he was talking about, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She continues to misunderstand what Jesus is offering. She's kind of keeping it on the very physical level. And while she's interested in what Jesus has to offer her, her interest is really kind of self-centered. She doesn't want to have to make extra trips out to get this water. Jesus has to get her attention and, and help her to see her need for more than just the physical things of life, something that, in fact, all of us need. She needs her spiritual thirst quenched. So Jesus goes, kind of at this point, takes a different tact. He goes a different way. He gets actually kind of personal with her. In verse 16, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And, and you know, you got to think, I mean, that's kind of a startling thing to say. You walk up, to, you're at the, this well, and this, this Jew walks up kind of out of the blue, and y'all are talking a little bit, and he's starting to pique your interest, and then he tells you to go get your husband. And Jesus, though, shows us this divine knowledge and that he knows more about this woman than she realizes. The verse continues, the woman answered him, I have no husband, which we'll discover is technically true. But Jesus isn't about us skating by on technicalities. How often do we kind of say something we know, you know, it's technically true, but... I mean, if I was really honest, if I was getting at the real core principle, if I was really talking about what really matters, well... And that's a danger that many struggle against, as our wants meet Jesus. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And we don't know any of the details about... Those husbands or the divorces, Jewish custom didn't allow a woman to, in fact, divorce her husband, though she could make life so miserable that the husband would eventually give in. And and Mosaic Law really didn't set a limit on the number of divorces, though by Jesus' time, rabbis limited it to two or in very rare circumstances three. So what we're looking at, a woman who has had five divorces, this is far beyond anything that was typical or normal. Jesus knows she is living with a sixth man to whom she isn't married. And embarrassment and shame are, are very real here for her, but also for for a lot of folks' lives, and it's clear from this woman's evasive answer about a husband that, that this really isn't comfortable for her to be talking about. She was fine talking about water, but now you're starting to get personal about it, and it's probably why, as we saw last week, she is considered, she was probably an outcast. She was here at the middle of the day instead of the normal early morning or late evening times. But here's the thing, before we start getting too harsh about this woman, let's recognize that when any of us are held up to Jesus' true perfection, we're all unworthy. We all can feel that way. We can all feel like, you know, as, as Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I remember someone telling me one time, every time you point a finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you. And and that's the danger. When we get into situations like this, we look at someone and their lifestyle doesn't match up to what we think it ought to be. But then if we're honest about how does our lifestyle match up to Jesus, it's not how it should be. Nor can it be by our our efforts. And here's the thing, just because we may feel that way, I mean, it's why some people don't really want to think about Jesus too much, or they don't want to think about who God is. But just because we we feel that way, if we really kind of focus on it, about how far we fall short of the glory of God, doesn't mean that that's how Jesus feels about us. In fact, one of the big, big complaints by the religious elite is, in the time of Jesus was that he was always hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, uh, with the least, the last, the lost. Jesus chose and sought out those who felt disconnected from God, as this woman probably felt. In fact, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, we gotta, what we gotta see here in, in this chance encounter is that Jesus from the very first he met, loved this woman. He cared about her. In spite of the choices she had made in her life, which he was aware of. And he feels exactly the same about you and me. But not even just you and me. He feels exactly the same about people who haven't even walked through our doors yet. He feels exactly the same about people who don't even believe in him. You know... Neither you nor I, nor in fact anyone on this planet has sinned so badly that Jesus would reject you if in fact you turned to him and came to him with all your heart. And he wants to be in your life and in the lives of the people around us and, and the people in our, our neighborhoods and in our families and in our communities and our workplace. The same is true of of. of all of those people, Jesus loves them. I mean, that's that's what we proclaim, and He wants to come in their lives. He wants us to be kind of like missionaries. You know, you, you, we often think of a missionary as someone who goes overseas somewhere, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, in 21st century America, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're often in a culture that is not in favor of you or at least what you believe that doesn't really get what you get and and yet we are not called to then retreat or or deny that truth we're called to be missionaries to offer his love and grace right where we are in those circles in those communities in those in those where uh, the people that are around us. I mean, there are, there are people dying on the inside who just want to know that someone, maybe even God, but someone cares about them. And, and that's what making a disciple of Jesus Christ is so, is so wonderful, so cool, is that, is that you and I actually have good news to offer them. When they feel like nobody cares, when they feel like nobody gives a rat about what they do and how they live their life. That there is one who always does. You and I may not do that perfectly, but Jesus Christ does. He has good news, and therefore we have good news. Because the Bible says God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, not when we started doing better, Sometimes we think we got to wait until somebody kind of turns around and gets their act together or wants to to do it differently. But Jesus came to us while we were sinners at our lowest point. In fact, he doesn't want us to try to fix ourselves because then we start getting self-reliant. We think it's up to me. I can somehow fix this. He wants us to trust him, to let him lead us forward. I mean, Imagine how much each of us needs to hear that, and then imagine how much even more some folks around us who don't have a church home, who don't know Jesus Christ, need that. And it doesn't mean that anything or everything is okay. It doesn't mean all behaviors are fine. It doesn't mean anything goes. But it does mean that God, those things don't stop God from loving us and loving the people around us. And his overriding desire isn't isn't to condemn, but to come into a life and offer his forgiveness, his hope, his, his, his peace, and his love to transform hearts, to transform our hearts and to transform the hearts of those we are around, to use us for his glory, Jesus knew enough of this woman's situation that he could have easily avoided her. He didn't have to talk to her, but he intentionally engages her in conversation and tries to help her, even to the point where he has to kind of get in her face, get into her business. You know what? That's a sign of genuine love. When you care enough to confront, when you care enough to to say something that may not always be perfectly well-received, But it's true. And of course, the Bible says speak the truth in love. A lot of us like to speak the truth without love. But but, but love means your concern is for the other person more than it is to get even what you want to say out. Sometimes we love to take the truth and beat people up over the head with it. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's speaking the truth in order to hurt. And so sometimes the, the opportunity to speak the truth in love doesn't come immediately as you have to build trust and relationship and demonstrate your own faith integrity. But it will come. And you can love that person for who they are. Even if you don't agree with everything they do. This woman is clearly uncomfortable with what's happening. And, and even if she doesn't understand everything Jesus is saying, she's coming to realize he, he does know her. He knows some things about her. She says to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now scholars believe she probably thinks that Jesus is the prophet that is foretold in Deuteronomy, which in many ways he, he was but not in the way that she or the Samaritans expected. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. But the thing about the Samaritans is they limited themselves, what they considered to be holy scripture, to the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As soon as you get to Joshua and you start getting to, Esther, to, to Ruth and Esther and into uh, uh, Judges and uh, Kings and Chronicles, Samuel, they, they dismiss all that. They didn't want to have anything to do with the, northern, with the southern kingdom in David. So they rejected all the prophetic writings and prophets after Moses. And so, as they read De- Deuteronomy 18, they were still looking forward to the coming of a great prophet in a coming age, whom they called the Tahib, which means converter, who, who to them would be like a second Moses, revealing truth, restoring true, true belief and worship. This prophet would function in, in sort of limited ways, not, not to the degree that, that even the Jewish understanding of the Messiah would be. And this, so, this woman wonders if Jesus is that prophet even though he is a Jew. But, but there's a problem. She says in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, talking about Mount Gerizim. But you say, talking, and that you there is plural. It's talking about the Jews in general because Jesus hasn't had this conversation yet. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, if, if you want to remember with me, when Israel split after the death of King Solomon into the northern kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah. The kings of Israel created an alternate place to worship on Mount Gerizim. And we have a picture, and this is actually that mount today uh, today with the ruins uh, there of, of, that, of that place. Because they didn't want people going to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to fulfill the, the, the annual feasts and, and, and rituals that were called for by Moses. And so they changed, sometimes, the actual historical record in places to suit themselves and justify Mount Gerizim as their place of worship. Although the Lord said in 2 Chronicles, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. From the the larger body of of Scripture, it was clear that Jerusalem was specifically chosen by God for his temple, but but the Samaritans chose Jerusalem to ignore that because they had an agenda. They didn't like this idea. And in the same way, we play, in that, we play to that same danger when we play fast and loose with the biblical text, especially when it calls us out or it challenges things in our lives that we like or we want, things that we would, we would prefer to do. And when the Bible says you shouldn't do this or that it is wrong or it is a sin, We say, well, surely God doesn't mean it there, or we'll interpret that a little bit differently, or I found uh, somebody over here who sees it differently. But if God really exists, and and he he created us, and he created everything we see, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the right to ignore or edit passages of Scripture that challenge us personally, that don't necessarily say what we want it to say, what would be comfortable or convenient We need to think about whether we have certain struggles in our lives that, in fact, may be because we have been disobeying God, or at least playing games with God's Word. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father.'" And that had to be kind of a surprising response by Jesus' the woman, because he didn't immediately defend Jerusalem as the the location of God's temple on earth, and therefore the center of worship. In fact, Jesus, as we're about to see, is going to set free the worship of God from a specific location. Verse 22, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus tells the woman that the the Samaritan religion has missed out on some really important revelations from God. There, there have been a lot of prophets. There have been a lot of inspired writings found in the portion of scriptures they've chosen to ignore. And, and really, in kind of a rare moment, Jesus affirms that the Jewish faith is foundational, that God worked through this Jewish line of history, not the Samaritan line, and the Messiah, as affirmed by Jewish scripture, will be a Jew a son in the family or line of David. And yet, neither Mount Gerizim in Samaria nor Jerusalem in Judea will be the ultimate center of worship. He says, verse 23, the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In Jesus, the understanding of the true worship of God the Father, in fact, is changing. It's being detached from the where of worship. If you go back to the time of Moses, it was set up first in the tabernacle, and then it was set up as the temple, and even when the Jews were, were exiled in the Babylonian conquering and they came back, they still rebuilt a temple. And, and the Samaritans chose their own place at Gerizim to, to build this. But this where, this place, is now giving way to a focus on the how. That regardless of the location, it's to be done in spirit and truth. And that, though, kind of sounds kind of fuzzy. And I'm not even sure that I can fully talk us through it this morning. But let's think about that. When Jesus says, God is spirit, he doesn't just mean, okay, God's invisible, so you can't see him, you can't touch him. It's somehow just a statement about God's nature. It's more than that. Just as God is love, or God is light, so also God is spirit. And our worship of him can't just be just the physical, going through the outward motions. It has to be genuine, from the heart, empowered by God's own spirit. That's why we prayed, Spirit rained down on us. It's recognizing this is really important. it's recognizing that worship is not a spectator' sport. We're going to go home this afternoon and we're going to sit in our chairs and we're going to watch the Texans for better or for worse. But we're going to watch. We're spectators. And sometimes people want to make worship about watching. Watching the people up here. Watching a few people who seem to really get into it. But for disciples of Jesus Christ, it is intentionally entering into a time of focusing our hearts and our minds on God the Father and praising Him. I'm sitting down here earlier singing. And you know what? I started thinking about lunch. (laughs) And I said, no. I can't do that. It's easy for any of us to do, to get distracted. And I had to call myself back to what am I singing and to whom am I singing it to? Empty ritual can occur in a very formal service with all the smells and bells. And it can occur just as easily in informal contemporary worship where we just stand or, or, or sit and we don't use our hearts and minds or our or, 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 or body to express love, adoration, and worship to the God who created us, who provided a Savior for us, and who promises his followers eternity with him. We can go through the motions just as easily. Some of you have come out of very formal settings and you say, it didn't mean anything to me. But others have found great meaning in those settings. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not about style. It's about the heart. Are we worshiping in whatever style? Or are we showing up? It's easy for any of us to fall back into a a default mode of just being here. And Jesus cautions us that that is not what God is seeking. God the Father is actively seeking such people to worship him in spirit and truth. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three, three parables in quick succession. The, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And all three, the point is the same, that God is seeking us. He is seeking after us because he loves every single one of us. And if we realize the magnitude of what it means that the God of the whole universe I mean, you 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 pull out one of those pictures from the Hubble Space Station, the Hubble Telescope, and you see a galaxy billions of light years away, and to know that God created that and understands it, and He is in that place, to realize that He is also here in our presence and cares about every single one of us. He knows each of us by name. He created us with a purpose. You're not a random act of of nature. When it fits our schedule, when it goes through the motions, when it's just kind of default, it isn't worship. It's an insult to our Father in heaven if there's not some sense of awe and anticipation and even trepidation, then we're missing something. You know, I, I, every Sunday, I could go through the motions, but I want to tell you, I, if, if, if you hear anything this morning that has any value, it's not because Randy said it, it's because the Holy Spirit impinged that on your soul. And that's so important that God not only through his spirit wrote God's word, but he, he's in the speaking of it and in the hearing of it. That's why worship is not just an activity to come and show up. It's a place to have an encounter with the living God. And, and it, it, it isn't just about a feeling but about being intentional, about centering our thoughts and hearts on God and offering Him, him our worship, our praise, regardless of the style. Uh, this is part of how we love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our cultural bent is to be s- focused in on ourselves that, and we judge all of our experiences by what we get out of it. But let me tell you, this kind of worship isn't first and foremost about what I get out of it, but what I put into it And then allow God's spirit to work as well, to do his will in me. And even if I feel nothing extra, it is still right and appropriate and important for my faith and faithfulness to gather and worship my God. We may have an experience in worship, but worship doesn't begin with us seeking an experience. Like, like that's what we're worshiping. I I come to worship to to worship an experience, but I come to seek God in spirit and truth. Folks, we are not, you're not the audience, okay? You and I are the congregation worshiping God an audience of one, God himself. That's why we call it worship. Worship comes from an old English word, worth to apply worth to another. And we are applying worth to God. We are making a decision beyond our feelings. And when we're casual or we just attend worship when we have nothing else going on, that's an indictment of our own faith and relationship with God. Worship in reality is work. And it should cost you something. Because actions that don't cost you anything aren't worth anything. And what does that, that kind of worship say then about your relationship with God? Worship is praising God and seeking to learn more about Him and offering all of ourselves to Him, our tithes, our offerings, our, our being, as an expression of all wonder and gratitude. That, to me, begins to get at what it means to worship in spirit and truth. But the Samaritan woman wants to, again, she wants to reduce it down to something simplistic. Verse 25, she said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. See, the Samaritans, again, because of their kind of truncated understanding of, of, of Scripture, believed that when the Messiah did come, he would just kind of... He would be more of someone who explained the truth, and, and it was just it would be more like a lecture. Here's the truth about the kingdom of God. The Jews thought something more of the Messiah. They, they thought the Messiah would come and conquer their foes and bring in the kingdom of God, restore the kingdom of David, this king who would, who would reign over their land. And you see some of this in the people who greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday. But even they didn't fully get it. In fact, even Jesus' dis- very disciples did not get it before he was crucified. For they failed to understand the suffering and sacrifice that the Messiah would have to make as the prophet Isaiah foretold to redeem people not from human conquerors but from sin and death. But Jesus gives a hint of this in his reply to the woman. Jesus, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, most English translations of that are trying to make it easier for us to understand, but it kind of obscures the preciseness of what Jesus actually said. In the Greek, he literally says, I am who speaks to you. That's the literal translation. And while it may seem like, okay, he's just affirming he's the Messiah, there's even more here. When Moses had his first encounter with God in the burning bush on the mountain, God called him to lead the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians. And in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God's name, I am when translated from the Hebrew of the Old Testament to the Greek of the New Testament, is the phrase that Jesus is using to answer the woman. He's not simply claiming to be the Samaritan's understanding of a great prophet or or even the Jew's understanding of a Messiah, but that in fact he is God himself, God in the flesh, which is what Christmas will be about very soon, which explains how Jesus knows all about this woman and and the coming change in how all people are to worship God and and who this woman is speaking to. Christian worship affirms this claim that, that we are here to worship God, who uniquely revealed himself as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who comes to live in us through his spirit when we accept by faith that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We accept him as our Savior, but also as our Lord. Just, not just for the moment, but for the lifetime. But because we also know that one day Jesus will return Scripture tells us in Philippians, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle Paul tells us here that that everyone is going to bow to Jesus someday. Those of us who are Christians will do it willingly and joyfully because we've already made him our, not just Savior, but Lord. We bow to our Lord. But those who aren't Christians will also be forced to bow and then to suffer the consequences of failing to believe while they had the chance. So not only does our worship matter, but so do our efforts to share this news with those around us. Just as Jesus loved us and came to us while we were still sinners, so he calls us to bring him to those around us that they may come to know him and not suffer endless separation from God when Jesus returns. And no one knows when that will be. It could be in two seconds, or it could be in 2,000 years, or who knows and yet it is the ultimate act of love to share Jesus Christ with those in our friendship circles to in effect be missionaries bringing hope bringing good news to folks who are lost again on the back of your bulletin at the bottom it says who around you needs the living water offered by Jesus Christ Again, I want to encourage you to think about that. Pray about that. Write that name or names down. As we told you next week, after each service, we're going to give you an opportunity to to go out onto that land. We're clearing a path around it. We're going to give you a stake that you can write a name or multiple stakes so you can write names of individuals down. Now, don't maybe write their whole name we don't want to embarrass anybody but write a first name or initials or something that you and God know what it means i don't have to know but you and God know and and walk that land and somewhere along that path put that stake in the ground or those stakes to claim it that that we are not here for ourselves That that this facility, this land, is a gift from God as much as anything else is. And it's here to be used for His glory, for His purposes. And and we know that the Christmas season is a time when, when many people are more open to invitations. And by thinking now about who it is that you can be praying for and praying for them through the Christmas season, you may find that God opens a door for you to invite them to one of our services during the christmas season or to one of our five services on christmas eve but we're doing it because we want to praise and worship our god and we want others to join because we want to worship him in spirit and truth and and help them come to know who jesus is and what he offers If you've got questions about that, our prayer team is going to be down here in just a moment, and they'd love to talk with you and pray with you about any of that. Um, as, As we mentioned, Josh is standing over there in the green or blue or something with shorts on, and he's there for a volunteer. If you want to just learn a little bit more about opportunities to serve, because when you and I serve, it's not about what do I get out of it. It's about how do I love my neighbor? How can God use me to bless others? And so that's an opportunity for you to go over there. And, and baptisms, we'll have a class right after this service down in our Life Center out these doors and, and down there, and there will be some guides to that. If you feel led to be baptized, to affirm your faith in Jesus Christ, or you want to learn more about it, we hope that you'll join us. I'm going to be out here with some friends. And if you're new today, I'd love to say hello to you, welcome you to our church, uh, anything like that, any way that we can help you on this journey. We're, we're in this together. We're a community. But we're a community called to reach our community, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. And we should, we, we should honestly, we should never be satisfied. Because Jesus, Jesus went out of his way to talk to a woman who in every possible way should have been his enemy. But he loved her. And he loves you and me. And he's called us to give that love to the world around us. And I guarantee you, that's the only thing that's gonna change our world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And so, if Father, sometimes we feel like we're getting kind of ahead in this world or we, we've got it made. Maybe we need to be humbled and recognize how much your grace costs and how, what a difference it's made. And use us then, Father, to share that good news with others and draw others into, into the, the opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. And help us, Father, in our worship, not to go through the motions Not to think about lunch or what am I doing this afternoon? or Who's going to be quarterbacking for the Texans? But help me worship you in spirit and truth. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.